Hi, Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the least of these podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. John chapter 3, verse 22 to 36. It says, After these sayings, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea, and there He remained with them and baptized now John also was baptizing on Enon now near Salim because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. We're going to talk about this little passage today. It's, uh, it's a transitional passage uh, from the Old Covenant to the beginning of the New. Really from Jesus, from John to Jesus. Remember, John is the last Old Testament prophet. He is the one that comes and preaches, repent, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus comes along behind him and preaches the same thing, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is here. And John has just remembered a voice. He is the one who is crying out in the wilderness saying that Jesus is coming and to repent, to make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, get ready. Get your lives cleaned up. Jesus is coming. And if you remember anything about this book, it's about the seven key signs, the seven miracles, the seven I am statements, and every one of those signs that Jesus does is the Greek word simeon, which means a miracle with a message. And every time John shows Jesus performing one of these miracles, he is doing it to show us that Jesus is God in human flesh. Because only God can change water into wine. Only God can heal a blind man. Only God can raise somebody from the dead, steal the storm, walk on the water, change the water into wine. And all these things, only Jesus can do that because Jesus is God in human flesh. And if you remember, we've been talking about how John points to Jesus and he tells about how Jesus turns the water into wine. And then as he goes through the next section of Scripture... He shows the fact that that Jesus is God because He knows what's in the heart of man. He cleans out the temple and He has a zeal for God. And as we get to this section of Scripture, we've seen Nicodemus has come to Jesus and he wants to know, you know, how do you do these signs? How is it that you do these? You must be from God. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. And... He goes on through the passage and he says, He who believes has eternal life, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed on the name of the Son of God. After all this happens with this conversation of Nicodemus, 
Jesus' ministry is really starting and Nick and John is going to fade off the scene. And we're really only going to see John here and we'll see him one more place where he asks and says, is this the Messiah that was to come? Because he was kind of concerned because Jesus wasn't doing all the things he thought he was going to do because he came as a suffering servant, not as somebody to overthrow the Roman government. And those are the last two times we'll see John. But when he gets to this section of Scripture, John is out in the wilderness baptizing because there was much water there. And Jesus and His disciples go to the same area. And, you know, this is a good reason to see why we need to be baptized, don't, not sprinkled, because He says there was much water there. And so John is baptizing people. He's dunking people. The word baptizo means to be immersed. And so Jesus and His disciples, they come, and Jesus is deliberately going to set up a confrontation. Because, see, Jesus is always looking to see what's in the heart of people, what's in the heart of man, what we're really about, and what we really want in life. And so as He comes... He's baptizing in one area, and John's baptizing in another. And over a period of about six months, apparently there's a conflict that's starting to grow. If you look at the rest of the Gospels, none of the other Gospels show this rest of this uh, ministry of John. They have Jesus being baptized in the wilderness, and then immediately they have Him doing all this ministry. Well, John shows us all the things that happen in between. But when he gets down to this section of Scripture, he says in verse 25, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. If you remember anything about chapter 2, we talked about that in chapter 2, where where it says that Jesus, over in verse 6, he says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And then Jesus said to them, Fill up the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And then He said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the Master of the Feast. And He took it. And then when the Master of the Feast tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the Master of the Feast called the bridegroom. And He said, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the, the good wine until now. Jesus is saying there that these empty water pots where these people were always washing and cleansing themselves, you know, that doesn't do any good. Because the only cleansing, the only purification that can really have happen is when Jesus comes into our life, right? And what He was saying that these empty water pots that were for purification, that, that this is your empty religion. It's worthless. It's empty. It's useless. But Jesus is going to turn it into something new. The new wine. The new covenant. The new way of living. Following Jesus Christ. They're disputing about this purification because, see, John was saying, repent and be baptized. And every time somebody was baptized... They were saying, I need God. I really need to be cleansed. But for a Jew to be baptized, they were saying they were as a Gentile. That was pretty hard for a Jew to say. Because there were three things that the Jews always prayed every day. At least the Pharisees did. 
They prayed, number one, I thank God I'm not a slave. Number two, they said, I thank God I'm not a woman. And number three, they said, I thank God I'm not a Gentile. That was what the Pharisees prayed. They were real good people, weren't they? And that's why Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to make it into heaven. Because they thought they were better than everybody else. They're disputing about this purification, but we're going to find out what the real man, real story is right here. And it says, and they came to John and said, Rabbi, behold, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. That was the whole object of John's ministry, wasn't it? That he was pointing to Jesus. Remember, every time he turned around, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. There's one that I'm, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. I'm just a voice. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm just a messenger boy. I'm just a newspaper boy saying, Read all about it. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. And that was his job, was to point the way to Jesus. It always seems to be about numbers and people. You know, if we got so many people coming, so many numbers, so many everything then it's a big ministry. But if there's not a whole lot of people coming, people don't want to be messed with it, right? Here they are. Their numbers are dwindling. They're getting jealous because they're all going to Jesus. And that's the real story. They want the people. They want the numbers coming to their place. But John looks at them in verse 27 and says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. There's nothing that can be given to anybody unless it comes from God. Remember, we're just servants. We're just stewards. We're just God's messenger boys, messenger girls, his newspaper boys, newspaper girl. If I understand my role, then then I should be jealous of anybody else. Anne's been given a gift of singing. I've been given a gift of preaching. I don't know what all of y'all's gifts are, but I know y'all have gifts and abilities that God has given y'all. Some people have the gift of shooting a basket, basketball. Some people have a gift of playing a guitar or whatever it is. But you know, God has given us spiritual gifts too, and we can only receive what's been given to us. Look, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 it says... You know, Paul was talking to these Corinthians and they were all jealous of each other's gifts and abilities. And they were all wanting these showy gifts. And he says, for who makes you to differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, it's sort of like these sports stars today. Man, they act like they, you know, they all that and then some, right? But you know what? You could be a, you know, some of us might have been geeks or somebody, they, they called us geeks or something. Maybe we had more brains than we had sports abilities, right? And we were always the last one to get picked on the team or something like that. And, and it felt bad, you know, but, but you know what? God gave us other abilities. Those people that play basketball, that play sports, that whatever they are that are at the top of whatever field they're in, unless God gave them that ability, they would never reach those heights, never reach that level. Yeah, they practiced. Yeah, they worked at it. Yeah, they spent the time and did what they needed to do to to enhance that gift. But you know what? If you are a person that always was the last one that got picked on the team because you just 
weren't coordinated. You could practice seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and you'll still never make an NBA basketball team. You know, some people have been gifted, given the gift of preaching, and some people think they've been given the gift of preaching, but nobody's ever listening. So that means they weren't given the gift of preaching. Some people think they can sing, but they can't sing. They couldn't carry a tune in a 10-gallon bucket. The bottom line is, is the only way we get a gift is if God gives it to us. And, you know, I've been saying this for years, that even if the, if the preacher is up there preaching and people are getting saved, that that person in the nursery that's changing the diapers, if they're not back there changing the diapers, guess what? The preacher can't preach. If somebody isn't ushering, if somebody isn't cleaning the church, if somebody isn't doing this and doing the sound and doing the other stuff, guess what? It can't all happen. And that's why the Bible says that the body is one. It's made up of many members. And if we cut off our little toe, we're not hardly going to be able to walk. I found out this past few days, I fell off a ladder trying to cut some bushes at my dad's house. The front of it just sunk down to the ground, and I fell backwards. And I think my hand took the brunt of the fall, because I was protecting myself, I guess, the rest of my body. And uh, my hand doesn't feel too good. And I found out how much I use that hand and how much it hinders me from doing some of the stuff that I want to do and need to do, right? And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. That everybody has a role, everybody has a place, everybody has a position. And we got to be where God puts us and not worry about what everybody else is doing. Because if God's gifted me to be here, then I need to be there. There's a, there's a verse in Psalm 84.10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Did you hear that? The psalmist says, I'd rather be the doorkeeper. I'd rather be the guy that cleans the temple. I'd rather be the guy that takes care of all the behind-the-scenes stuff in the temple if that's where God's put me, than to be in the tents of the wicked or do anything else. I'd rather do that. Because that's where God's put me, right? And some of us have abilities, some of us have gifts, but we have to remember that God is the giver of all gifts. It says over in Ephesians chapter 4, He talks about that. He says that He gave gifts to men. That's talking about mankind. He gave us gifts. And He gave us abilities. And He says He gives them according to the measure. That He gives them because He wants to. And He gives me what He wants to give me. And He gives you what He wants to give you. And if He didn't give you this one, then He he said you didn't need it. And if He didn't give me that one, I didn't need it. And so the bottom line is, is we have to let God be God. And do what He says we need to do. Because look what John says right here. He says in verse 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I have said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. John knows his role. He knows his position. He knows his place. And he's happy with what God has done. You know, the Bible says that John is the greatest of all men all the way through the Old Testament up to the time that the first Christian comes and gets saved under the new covenant through Jesus. He is the greatest 
of all men. But what was his role? He was just a servant. He was just a voice. He was just somebody pointing to Jesus. But he did what he was supposed to do and he did it faithfully. And so that's what we need to do. Wherever God's put us, we need to serve faithfully using the gifts He's given us and the abilities He's given us. Look what He says here in verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him, hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John says right here, I am but the voice. Jesus is the great shepherd, right? But he says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. See, the job of the bridegroom back in this day was to protect the bride for up to a week at a time. Up to a week. The bride was put into the assistant's hand. The bridegroom's friend, right? And for a week, he takes care of her. He protects her. He keeps her safe. He does all the things he needs to do for her. And then when it comes time for the wedding, you know what his job is? To take the hand of the bride and put it in the bridegroom. And say, here, your delight bride has been delivered safely. Here she is. Now you can marry her, right? And so that was his job. And so what Jesus is saying here through John is the fact that John came and he's taking care of us. Because the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 5 says? It says that we are the bride of Christ. And that Jesus is the bridegroom. That the church is the bride of Christ. And one day he's coming back and there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And in the meantime, we're being taken care of. But John says, I'm handing all the church, I'm handing the people over to Jesus is what I'm doing. And I rejoice because when I hear the bridegroom coming, I know that my job's over. And I just hand over to the bridegroom and then, hey, he takes over from there, right? But you know what he says here? That John is not the Messiah. He's only the bridegroom's friend. And he says when he hears the bridegroom's voice, he rejoices. Because you know what? The Bible says that Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, right? So Jesus is the real voice. He is the bridegroom. And John is just the bridegroom's friend. The last thing we want to see here is as he finishes up this section... He says, he rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. In other words, John, I think John's putting this section of Scripture one last time because you know what? In, in contrast to Nicodemus, what did Nicodemus do? He couldn't believe. He said he didn't believe. And Jesus said, unless I show you, if you won't believe earthly things that I've shown you, how can I get you to believe the heavenly things? So Nicodemus doesn't believe. Yeah, one day he does believe. And one day he does go and get Jesus' body and lay it in a tomb. And he does believe and he is saved. But at this time, for some reason or another, he did not believe on Jesus Christ. 
because Jesus said to him, he's talking about whoever believes, but he says, if I tell you earthly things, you didn't believe. He said, how can I tell you the heavenly things? Because you will not receive them. And so here he is. And as we finish up this section, we want to see that John is responding with joy at the sound of the bridegroom. As whereas Nicodemus was just responding with unbelief. Because see, Nicodemus was a picture of that guy back there in chapter 2 where it says in verse 24, But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and he had no need that anyone should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. He knows what's in our heart. He knows who we really are. And old Abe Lincoln says you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. But you know what? You can't fool Jesus any time. Because he knows us inside and out. He knows our thoughts before we think them. I want to close out on that section today. Ask, have you heard the bridegroom's voice? Are you one of his sheep? Are you following the great shepherd, Jesus? Because he says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But he says, he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the Son of God. So all we have to do to go to hell is just not believe that Jesus died in our place, died for our sins, that we need to be forgiven, we need to be saved, we can't get there on our own, we can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can't pay for it, but Jesus paid it all. And when we do that and repent, repent means to change your mind about something, particularly about sin. I used to like sinning, but now I hate sin. And I want to be different because I know Jesus can change me. And if you don't know Him today, ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to save you. And He says that whoever calls on Him shall be saved. Father, we love You and thank You that You made provision through Jesus and that there is no other provision. If there was but one cure for cancer or AIDS or old age or Whatever ailment we have, we'd all be running to the doctor to get that one cure. But because there's only one way to heaven, people fuss, people fume, people fight. But you know what, Lord? We thank You that You made a way when there was no other way because otherwise we would be dead in our trespasses and sins and there would be no way we could get to heaven. We thank You for Your provision. We thank You for for the testimony of John. We thank You that He said, I must decrease, but You must increase. Lord, let that be the prayer of our lives, that we must decrease, but You must be become more evident in our lives as we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Some are locked up in bodies that don't work and in the nursing home facility, in the wheelchair, the bed they cannot get out of. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems or their parents. They aren't doing right and their cries, we want to have a real family. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up in the jail and the prison, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, 
called depression and suicidal thoughts and a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us life and to set us free, and these folks are not free, but we can set them free through Christ Jesus, at least in their minds and their spirits. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham. We do about 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you'll support us in some way so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button, and we hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you, and God bless you.